do you want to tell any more um Nick's stories? Before, you know what I mean? Because I know, because I kind of want to get into that. I'm not. Well, he looks a lot like Smokey Robinson. If you've ever seen Smokey Robinson, the green-eyed, you know, biracial, he's very handsome man. Typical gear of the of the era. He had Jordash jeans on all the time, and you know, his shirt was always open. So you could see hair on his chest. And the women <laughs> did. The women just adored him. But I will say this: he was an extremely violent pimp. Very yeah. violent. I mean, he had a very violent relationship with Sharon. There was a night that I remember I found her unconscious in the parking lot that uh. he had just beaten the crap out of her. And I had to take her to the ER and, you know, that whole fiasco. And then he started, he started coming after me because I took her to the hospital. That was another time that, that Ruck stepped in between us. I think, I think Nick would have hurt me that night if, if Ruck hadn't stepped in between yeah. us, literally. And literally told me, get the fuck out of here. And, and I ran the hell out because, I mean, Nick made it. He ran at me. I think he was going to hurt me. You know, yeah. Just, 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 And I'd see this with Nick. The women that he would just beat the crap out of, put him in the hospital, break their bones. I mean, and they'd go back. I mean, I didn't understand that dynamic. Each pimp, and that's what I found fascinating in a way, was to see how each pimp has their own style and their own type of woman, the kind of woman that would gravitate towards Nick, would have nothing to do with Larry or Weldon. Yeah. You know, Weldon would make, Weldon made a thing about college girls. His thing was college girls. You know, maybe that's one reason why him and I got along, is that <laughs> he, all, of his, all of his girls had degrees, had been through, you know, really high-level college. Very yeah. educated women. And, you know, that was Weldon's type of woman, but that type of woman are not going to tolerate having a voice raised at them, you know? No, definitely. And then, um, you know, Larry Larry was kind of a different... Larry had what I call scandalous kind of women. Now, he had women Larry? that were really uh, into drugs and partying and screwing around and just wild, you know? <laughs> Larry. Now, he, his signature thing was the three-piece white suit for some reason. He was always in the three-piece white suit. He had a pimp, huge dude. afro, <laughs> a, like a huge. A huge afro with a huh. three-piece white suit, Larry. Oh, my yep, lord. Yep, that's Larry. That's excellent. We um, used to joke. I used to call him a cotton tip in reverse, you know? <laughs> oh, God. But, I mean, he had always had a lot of gold oh, on. And, good. you know, but he attracted more of the women that really were, like, he was the kind of guy that would get the girls from the bus stop when they were 15, you know? Yeah. He yeah. always got the underage girls when they were very young. He got Tina when she was young. He got Tony when she was like 15. I mean, he always got these really young, dumb girls. I mean, back then, a high-class hooker was a hundred dollar an hour hooker in '79. Mm. That was a lot of money, and you could easily. And the average that that Tina was making when I met her was ten thousand a week. Oh my now God. you figure that the average girl is making ten thousand a week back in 1979. And each pimp has an average of five women, so he's yeah. got fifty grand a week just in women alone coming through the door, not counting drug sales. Oh my God! Yeah, then you figure out the drug sales that are coming through, and then when I came in the game, I started upselling the toys. I started teaching the girls how to upsell toys on top of it. You mean like so, dildos I mean, and shit? You've got all this income generating, you, you know? Said, you, 
What do you mean? Like Yeah, I used to equip the girls with what I called a trick bag. We'd upsell with different different devices for different tips sort of thing. And then they could also buy the device if they liked it. So, so we fun. started, you know, adding toys to our oh my Lord. Our, our list of things we'd upsell. You know. That's management. <laughs> there you go. That's how you got that position. Jesus. Fucking toy Well, this sales. is what Weldon got me is I'm sitting here going, well, we've got to monetize these things, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, you put your brand name on it, put a little Richard Pryor on the tip. <laughs> oh my God. Did you start, like, when new girls came in, did you kind of give them, like, a, you know, a pep talk, or did you guys kind of stay separate? Like, you know what I mean? Was there, a, was there like, a girl club there, you know? No, because I, I learned. You could go up and warn these women, and they're not listening to you. They, they're just, they're so enamored by the whole club thing. You know, the Rolls Royce in the front, and the club, and they're the owners, and... They know the Jacksons, and they've got money, and I mean, they're just, and they got drugs. I mean, these girls are not going to listen to you, period. You know, I, yeah. I, so I learned. I could say anything to them, and it wasn't, it's going to fall on deaf ears. When the, they first started having the parties at the house, I'd see the marijuana and the alcohol, okay? And then I'd see a um, couple of lines of Coke. I mean, that really wasn't very serious, but when freebasing hit, and when freebasing first started, Okay, freebasing was considered very high-level, high-class, because it was very expensive. You had to get large quantities of it. You had to know how to use it. And so it was very, something that only really very wealthy people did. And then as it started moving its way down into the masses, and then it got to the point where there was, like, every motherfucking John was high on coke, which means he couldn't get his dick hard. So you're sitting there with a guy who can't get his dick hard, but he wants to get off. I mean, that's a trip in itself, right? Yeah. And then they get these weird, bizarre ideas when they're on coke. Like, let me stick this up your ass. I mean, just, you know, oh, my God. You know, I mean, has everybody lost their mind? You know, and, but that's what it does. And then, and then all of a sudden when coke rips through and everybody's on coke and they're all fucking crazy, but it did something to change the business itself because... The business didn't used to be so linked to porn. It got linked to porn on the coke because they couldn't have normal sex on the coke. That's how they got somehow tied together. I don't know how to explain it because you never used to see. But when coke hit, yeah, you got this huge porn collection and these crazy ideas, and, and, it, and it all seemed linked together. Huh, you know? That's interesting. It kind of went from sex. If you ask me, it went from sex to fantasy, and that's when the business changed. And that's, you know, I guess 79, 80. You're still right around there, kind of? Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. And then it got to the point where a lot of the old-timers like me who just wanted, say, normal a normal transaction couldn't find it. Like, all the clients were on drugs and some kind of weird craziness. So you found that the women that were coming into the business were different. Because some, you know, some women can tolerate it, some couldn't. In other words, what you found was that the women would be on the drugs, okay? So then you've got this whole wave of women coming in and all of a sudden they've got this drug problem that the older generation do now. I mean, do you start seeing different people because of the drugs? Do you start seeing more people come in and less people come in, more high-end people? You know yeah, I mean? because like the first, well, the first, like, first business meeting we had was about the fact that the demand for, for cocaine was really strong. And, you know, they've been supplying little grams here and there kind of a thing. But it, it was getting really strong. There was really more of a demand coming in. And they 
were wanting to know, like, we had a business meeting of how are we going to handle this? You know, do we want to deal drugs in the club and jeopardize the club and keep it off the street? Do we want to do it at the house? You know, how are we going to do this, right? Do we have the girls carry it, but then the girls are likely to get knocked off with the drugs? I mean, if she's carrying, you know, a kilo of cocaine on her, you know, somebody's going to kill her. So, I mean, you know, we had to have a discussion about how are we going to, you know, deal with this because at the same time, because the Johns are starting to ask for coke with every trick now. So the girls are, you know, but it's not enough that she's bringing a gram or two on the call. They're they're wanting to do ounces and stuff. I mean, what do we do about that, 80s. right? So, I mean, yeah, the call, you know, we're debating, like, well, what do we do to meet the demand for this without getting somebody killed? Now, we're keeping most of the drugs in the office, but the, the way we set it up was that Rock was going to be doing basically a drive-through business. So if anybody needed anything, they could come drive through because there was like this little U driveway in front of the club. They could just come up, talk to rocks, and then and then go on out. And that way, because there wasn't any parking anyway, any you know what I mean. They could just do like a drive through. That way, we don't have to worry about affecting the club, but we can still protect it to keep it outside the club at the same time. You know. Yeah, good play. I like it. So what? So. Oh, so man. this is what we set up is basically we have the drive-through business, and then when he needed more more of the drugs, I could pull it out of the office and give it to him. I remember I bought this like fake Pepsi can, where we'd put more drugs in the Pepsi can, and I'd give it to him. You know, kind of a thing. Yeah. So. Um, and so yeah, that's when um, I remember a couple times uh, Michael Jackson and had pulled up, and I'd see him open the car door. So I know it was him in the car, you know. What kind of car? Is this like a limo? Like, what the fuck? Michael limo. Jackson. Yeah, it was a limo. <laughs> and then um, the brothers, I remember Tito and Jermaine came into the club a lot because they also liked the girls. So they they were up at the house sometimes. Um, I know they liked Donna. Yeah. I mean, Jermaine oh. went out on a couple of dates with Donna. Really? Donna went out with one of the Jacksons? Wow. Yep. We became friends again. She got tired of living alone. So it, we started being friends again. And then, plus, she started doing coke, and she started getting her coke from the club. So, of course, she's starting to talk to Rock again, because she's getting her coke from Rock. And so we just started gravitating, being friends again. And then, of course, Rock was trying to talk her into doing some stuff. You know, like, I can set you up some private parties. You'll be good, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, Donna, I think, ran away from us before she could get sucked into it. Yeah, so we had a brief sort of reconciliation of our and friendship. And she got, she got, yo, she got some Jackson. She again. I mean, it uh, had to be a bustle in clubs. You got these big names playing there. You got limos driving through. You got, you know, uh, <laughs> girls, coke drive through. I mean, the place. I don't has remember a be lot of them. Blown up. I know there was one McNichols. That was another one. The McNichols boy was big back then, okay. and he would come through there a lot. And he had a big thing for Donna too. Damn Donna. Um. Yeah. Donna pulls them. <laughs> she was the one. God bless her. I love the fact that she never let anything bother her. I got you. I so, mean, yeah, it's um. <laughs> so what had happened one night was I turned down this one call. Didn't like the guy's voice, and then what happened is he called the next number, got one of the women in the family, and she had asked me about it, and I said no, I I didn't like him. Well, evidently, the pimp got on her saying, Jody's too picky. You just need to go. We got bills to pay, blah, 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 and sent her out on the call anyway. 
okay? Yeah. Midnight, he's calling me saying, has she come to you? Do you know where she's at? She hasn't come home. And I said, you didn't send her on that call, did you? And he's, yeah. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> I said, there's a reason why I turned these guys down, you know? And, you know, I told him, I said, there was something wrong with that guy's voice, you know? Yeah. And he goes, well, what do we do now? And I mean, you know, I tried calling the cops saying, and they were like, not wanting to hear it, you know? Mm. They were laughing. Like, we're supposed to go chasing out after hookers? Are you kidding? Mm. I mean, so I got this whole attitude, like, she gets what she gets from the cops. That stuck with me. Like, no, I'm telling you there's a woman that's missing. The guy is dangerous. She hasn't come home. This is a mother. She's got two small children. Mm. And the cops were just literally laughing and blowing me off. That that affected me. So I tell her, her man, you know, her husband, I said, look, I said, I've got the address. You know, I know where it's at. I mean, let me go over there and see if I can see what's going on. Because, again, I've done this before. In my mind, I've gone in on some very difficult calls, and I've gotten women out because I do know NLP, and I do know how to get women out of a tough situation by talking, right? Yeah. So I'm thinking I'm thinking it's going to be something like that, you know? Only when I get there, I found her chained to a refrigerator, and she had been stabbed 51 times. Mm. So I got her unchained, got her in the car, blood is spewing everywhere. I get her to the local, you know, ER. Now, you got to remember, this is when AIDS was raging. And when AIDS first came out, it was a lot like COVID. It reminds me of COVID because they didn't really know how it was being transmitted and everybody was terrified of it, right? And yeah. if you were a prostitute, a gay, or an IV drug user, you had the plague and nobody wanted near you. So here I come dragging into ER with her, right? And the ER people wouldn't touch her. She's literally spewing blood from all these stab wounds. Is she alive? I mean, what, what is she? Is... Yeah. Well, what happened was, again, my somewhat of my legal background and the way that, the way that I just am, I said, if I, if I move her from here because you guys refuse to, I said, I will, we will file a wrongful death case against this hospital. So I suggest you start sewing her up now. And they, oh, okay. And I mean, they said, well, we'll sew her up, but we're not admitting her. I'm like, I don't give a fuck whether you admit her or not. Sew her up. I mean, because she's still spewing blood all over the place, right? My Lord. Because she was perceived as a prostitute. They were going to just, what, stand there and let her bleed to death? You know? I mean, that bothered me. So we get her stitched up. And there was a task force at that time that had been assigned, um, to catch the hillside strangler okay so i mean as far as i can this was literally the body shop i pulled her out of the body shop that of these guys the two cousins okay oh so this is related to them yeah these guys had been known pimps before i mean there was a lot we had real good solid reason to believe that this was the hillside strangler and especially now i pull her out of this place and she's just been tortured like this. And so I'm taking her to the task force. She's an eyewitness to what they just did to her. Yeah. Okay? And and, and it really deeply affected me when the guy that, that met with us, because, I mean, at that time, again, we didn't have the Internet or cell phone. She had to go down and talk to people. So we go down, we show him um, the wounds that she had just been attacked. I explained to him what happened. And he just he just stares at me. And I'm like, well, aren't you going to do something? Like get a search warrant, something? He said, 
you expect me to get a search warrant on the word of a whore? Uh. Whoa! I was like, excuse me? Because he said, you got to understand something. I can't get a search warrant on the word of a whore. I go, why? Why not? You know? I mean, because in my mind, we're the most attacked person there is, right? Yeah. And he said, well, for one thing, your testimony's not reliable. Why? He said, well, was she on drugs? Was she high? I said, well, I think her wounds prove it's really irrelevant, don't you? <laughs> you know? And Good point. then he goes, he goes, that's not it. He said, you have to understand, in the eyes of the law, she is a criminal. And I'm like, that just, I didn't, I didn't grasp what he meant by that. I go, what has that got to do with jack shit? This woman has just been stabbed 51 times. She was held hostage, chained to a refrigerator. What does it matter whether she's a criminal or not? You know? And he tells me under the law. He said, look at it this way. He said, if there was a drug deal that went down and the drug dealer got ripped off, would we step in and, and intervene in that situation? I go, so because she's conducting an illegal transaction, it's, it's game on, whatever goes? Is that what you're telling me? You know, and he goes, under the law, we can't be protecting someone while they're committing a crime. And I said, okay, so let me get this straight. If someone is a prostitute engaging in the act of prostitution because it's illegal and someone kills them, you're telling me it's fair game because she was engaged in a criminal act? Is that what you're telling me? That's, I was just like blown away by what he was telling me That's you know unbelievable. i said i said well so, i said then there's a problem with the law are you really still in a candy bar if somebody holds a gun to your head and tells you you have to do it no i don't think it's the same thing that's where i got even more upset is because the hillside stranglers were holding women hostage and forcing them into prostitution and women that had not been prostitutes prior so that once they were labeled as prostitutes, they were written up by the system. And, and that's where I started butting heads initially with LAPD. I'm like, wait a minute, these women were not prostitutes to start with. They made them prostitutes so that you would not help them. So don't you think there's something fucked up about that? You know, that they know this, that the predators know this, that this is like the loophole, right? Because I'm like, okay, well, how do you classify someone as a prostitute? Is it a prostitution record? No, if you're just identified as a prostitute. Well, how do you identify as a prostitute? Just some guy looks at you and says, that's a whore, that's it, that's over, you're identified as a criminal and then you lose all your rights, is that it? I found out that if you are raped, that they will not give you victim services if you're a prostitute. Domestic violence shelters will not admit you if you're a prostitute. I mean, it, it just might, if anybody needed a domestic violence shelter in my mind, it would be a prostitute. I was discovering that there were teen runaways like Tony, who the reason that they were falling into the hands of somebody like Larry is that they couldn't go to the runaway, typical teen runaway shelters. They would be turned away once they were identified as a prostitute. And, and I'm like, it, just so, it, it, it was like a whole rabbit hole I started going down, finding out that that you were labeled as a prostitute. I mean, you just were as good as dead. They didn't care. And that just really just so blew my mind that that became a lot of my crusade that we've got to change this. Because to back it up further, the pimp had made that girl go on that call. I felt like I was in, I was one of those rare women, in my mind anyway, I was in that rare position where I could go on the calls, I could pick and choose, right? Yeah. He made her go. And then that happened to her. And then to hear the police 
talk about her like that on top of it, that just, I mean, you said it really just, it, it changed my whole viewpoint about things. You know, Rocket even started getting involved in drug deals that were so scary to me that I put him out of the house. I, I, I said, I, I can't risk this. I said, somebody's going to come in here one night. And I don't know if you've heard the story, but there was a story that went out about some drug dealer that was involved with the discos where he killed somebody and hacked him up and stuffed him behind the couch or something. And I started getting really worried that somebody was going to break in the house and kill us to get at the drugs. Because yeah, Rock was carrying a lot of drugs at, at one point, at, you know, by this point. And I'd said to him, look, you know, love you, all that, but I'm really worried somebody's going to break in here and whack us all at night for drugs, so I, I need you to get out of the house. I don't want people to know I have drugs here. I don't want to worry about, you know, being broken into. I just, I need you to leave. And he understood. It wasn't him. It was just my fear that, you know, and this is happening. People were breaking in and killing people for drugs, right? Definitely, yeah. So, um... It was so weird that night because um, he says, can I, can I stay here? I'm like, do you have anything on you? He goes, no. And I said, okay, why? And he said, uh, Nick had just killed himself. Hmm. And he didn't want to be at the house. And I'm like, what happened? And he, he told me that Nick had been on a three-day bender and it evidently just had enough. Came out of his room, sat down on the curb in front of the house and blew his brains out. Jesus, and with I like said, a hand, what time was this? With a handgun? And just he to, said, you know. yeah, with a handgun. He said about an hour ago, and I said, oh, my God, could I go ahead and go in and get some sleep? I mean, I could tell he was probably pretty upset by the whole thing, right? Yeah. You know, and then I waited till the authorities did whatever they had to do. I waited about two or three days, and then went up and had a talk with Weldon. I said, this is enough. I, I need to get away from this family. I said, somebody's going to get whacked. I don't want to be in the middle of this. Somebody's going to shoot me. Somebody's going to, I'm going to, you know, I just need to get away from this. I didn't sign up for this. And he said, you know what? He said, you're absolutely right. He said, things are out of control. He said, I think you're right. He said, I think it's time we get out of Dodge too. He worked out a deal. He said, he said, well, he says, I need about $160,000 to set up my new life. You need to move Rock back in so he can make sure that you're not like going to the authorities or anything, you know. And he said, you make payments to me until you reach 160000 and then you're out. You're done. That's the end of it. Okay, no problem. Shook hands, and that was the end of the deal. But I asked Weldon, I said, why are you doing this? He said, you're the only person that came to me like a man and asked me. Okay. <laughs> I love this guy. <laughs> I, he said I gave him the respect of asking him, so he worked out a deal with me. Yeah, it's fair. And did the club close soon after that? Is it... You yeah, he closed the club down. Everything closed down. House closed up. Club closed down. Everything closed up. Weldon and them all went back to Texas. It get, it was like death of old school. I mean, they were realizing drugs had taken over this. And people were, you have to understand how crazy people were back then. It just was, I don't even know how to explain it. It was like rampant psychosis had entered people back in the 80s. It's just so interesting that it all kind of just it just folded up and that's it. That that little you were that little time again. You're in this window of that little time period. It's so interesting. You hear and you hear a lot of old gangsters, a lot of old pimps talk about how the old days are gone. The games changed, and that's exactly what hit. Is that when those when the drugs really took in in the 80s, 
the business became so crazy and really not a business anymore. I was telling my mom I was working in a restaurant, and of course, mom suspected I was lying. Yeah. And but she couldn't prove it, and and it wasn't until it wasn't until right about the time that Rock left that she found out the truth. When I was expecting a client, and I was pretty well, I remember I was really dolled up. I mean, I, you know, I had my hair done in the 80s. You had the big hair, right? <laughs> you know, and yeah, I was, I was really, makeup was very extreme in the 80s. So yeah, I was really dolled up. So she comes over, she comes over unannounced, and she had a key to my apartment. She walks in, and she just takes one look at me and knew. She just knew. I mean, I did not dress like that normally. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and she, then she heard my phone, because my phone would ring, like, every two seconds. I'm not kidding. Every two seconds, ring, 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 ring. I mean, that's, the, the demand for sex is huge. So the phone just rings constantly. She's hearing the phone ring, ring, ring. She seen me, she just, and she just knows. She goes, I knew it. She goes, I knew it, you know. And I'm like, okay, okay, whatever, Mom. We obviously need to have a talk, you know. Yeah, definitely. And, and then I expected Mom to have a problem with it. And instead, she didn't. And that and that got weird. And I, I did think she would like, try to, I thought there'd be the, oh, you can't do this. She talked me out of it. No, instead, she was very intrigued. And her, her logic was, if she shut me out, then she wouldn't be able to protect me. And that she felt like if she at least, you know, knew what I was doing, then she might be able to help. 